The emergency medical system touches millions of lives each year. How are the EMTs involved? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmette, Illinois Fire Department, a 28-year veteran of the force. Chief Orth is also the medical officer for the department, has been a paramedic for the last 26 years, and is an Illinois State Fire Investigator. Chief Orth and I are discussing the EMS system and EMTs. Chief Orth, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you very much, Dr. Bloom. So let's start out talking about the EMS system in general. What are the components of the system? Sort of define it for us. Well, basically, we work with the St. Francis Hospital system with our training and certification of our personnel. Uh, to start out, when you get on the fire department, you usually end up going to the fire academy for six to eight weeks and getting that training completed. Then you go to EMT school. EMT school is comprised of twice a week classes from about six to 10 on, let's say, Tuesday and Thursday. And it's a three-month program, and it's the prerequisite that you need before going off to paramedic school which then usually follows and starts in January and actually runs through about September. It's a very long program and process, and each year they seem to add more and more requirements and training hours and classroom hours to these programs. When you talk about EMTs that go for this three-month training, what are they qualified to do when they get done? Basically, what an EMT level is a basic level prior to becoming a paramedic, and you're basically allowed to do CPR, bandaging, wound care, basic life support things. You're not allowed to give any drugs or start any IVs or innovate anybody. Are there situations where EMTs are maybe the best trained people on an ambulance or in the EMS system, maybe in some rural areas? Oh, absolutely. Because what they can do, I mean, they can still take blood pressures. They can still, you know, treat the initial patient that is, you know, hurt and, of course, they're going to have a lot more care and training than just the average, you know, firefighter or the average person. They're trained, and they go through a lot of clinical experience as well as also their classroom experience. So they do clinical time at the hospital to get their skills up, you know, and they'll take vital signs, and they'll be able to recognize certain situations. They can help and assist patients that might be choking on food or choking on their tongue. They can control bleeding. They can do some initial care and treatment and then you know, provide that and then be able to, you know, help transport people to the hospital. Are they also involved in cardiac care, telemetry of uh, EKG or any of those kinds of things? No, they're really not trained at that level. That becomes uh, an issue at the paramedic level where they learn to, you know, read what an EKG is and actually hook somebody up. So in those areas where an EMT is the most trained person on the scene, who walks them through what they should do in order to help these patients? Well, the protocols that they have been trained and the classes that they have gone to to learn the basic training is really where it comes from, plus the fact that they work with nurses and doctors when they do their clinical time. So it gives them exposure to what they may see in the field. So take us through their training program. They have start out, they get there, they really haven't had any experience with this. What is it they learn? Who's teaching them? How much is classroom and how much is clinical? Usually what they end up doing, like I said, they go to class twice a week, basically from 6 to 10 at night. They have situations where they do practical care as well as lectures that they listen to. And usually the people that are training them are doctors, nurses, and there are paramedics also that go through and assist them in the training. The nice thing about having some of the paramedics 
train them and work with them, they see a lot of different stuff, and there's a bond that forms between the paramedic and then the EMT student. And a lot of the EMT students will then go on to become you know, paramedics, especially in this region. So, Chief Orth, tell us then the difference between the number of months or hours between EMT training and paramedic training. The EMT program typically starts in September and ends in December. There's a state test that you have to take and a classroom test. You have clinical hours that you do at the hospital, and it's significantly less than the paramedic program. The paramedic program typically starts up in January so that there's a continuity of time after everything you've learned as an EMT, and you take that right into the paramedic program, which typically ends in September. The bulk of the class is January you know, through June, and you meet twice a week for class at night from basically 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock on those nights. And then once a week in the morning, you have lab from 9 to 12. Then you begin a ride time on the ambulance, which is usually about 120 hours at the beginning of the class. And then to complete your paramedic certification, you need roughly 504 hours of ride time actually on the ambulance. There's actually 1,245 hours total that you need to complete your paramedic certification. There's a classroom test then you complete, and then there's a state test that you need to take. Also, for those people that wish to travel outside the Illinois area, there's a national registry test that you can take as an EMT and a paramedic so you could be nationally registered so that you could become a paramedic or EMT in California, Oregon, wherever you wish to go. So what are paramedics qualified to do that EMTs aren't? Some of the significant differences are you can take a 12-lead cardiogram on a patient. You can intubate patients. You're able to give drugs and provide invasive treatment to those patients. It's amazing the differences when you look at the training that's involved and the ongoing training that we're constantly going through on a monthly basis. So how has paramedic changed over the years, paramedic training? What are you learning now that you weren't learning, say, five or ten years ago? I think the significant differences are the classroom time has increased. The book is about four inches thick. When I took it, the book was about an inch thick. You have to actually have someone help you carry your books to class because of, of how how big and heavy they are. Also, the clinical time. When I was a EMT student and on the paramedic school, I did about 68 hours of clinical, and that was back in 1981. So you're looking at the difference. I think a lot of the times when you look at the practice of medicine, it's constantly evolving and they're finding that the changes and things that we did one way, now we're changing them. And it's, sometimes it's funny because some of the protocols end up coming full circle. You know, they have the whole list of drugs and things that you're supposed to give and, and things you're supposed to do. And all of a sudden now it, it changes and comes around full circle where you go back to some of those things as they find out you know, what standards of care actually provide better care for patients. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmette, Illinois Fire Department, a 28-year veteran of the force who's also the medical officer for the department, a paramedic for the last 26 years, and an Illinois Fire State investigator. The chief and I are discussing EMS and paramedics and EMTs. So... What would you say is the thing that a paramedic does the most that actually contributes to saving the life of patients out in the field? Basically, the biggest thing is diagnostic technique. You get out in the field and you realize that someone might be suffering from pulmonary edema, and by recognizing that, you provide immediate care. You study an IV, you end up giving them oxygen, you have the opportunity to give them a 12-lead EKG, and at times when you read the EKG, you can really bypass the emergency room. You notify the hospital that you're going to be transporting that patient to, and they usually a lot of times will set up the cath lab 
and have those people ready to go. So it provides greater care than it ever has. And I think when you look at the studies, you're seeing that people are surviving serious trauma and serious heart conditions more than they ever have because of the care that's being given to them initially at their home and in the field and in the ambulance. And are you able to give drugs and other supportive therapy right at the scene that actually saves lives right there? Absolutely. We give drugs IV. We give drugs IO, intraosseous. We also are able to give drugs intramuscular, subcutaneously, and also down the ET tube. What kinds of drugs are we talking about? Can you give the whole spectrum of drugs, or is there some limitation on what you can give? We carry a wide variety of drugs. We carry amiodarone. We have atropine. We have epinephrine. We have Narcan. It's amazing the amount of drugs that we carry now, verapamil. So we, we have a lot of drugs that you know can help with cardiac situations, whether someone's in an SVT, a supraventricular tachycardia, or if someone is uh, in a bradycardic rhythm, we can give them atropine and increase their heart rate. When this kind of thing is happening, are you in communication with a physician at a hospital, or is this sometimes stuff that you're doing right by yourselves right at the scene? We have standard operating procedures and guidelines that we follow, and many of the, the things that we do in the field, we are able to do following those guidelines. Certain medications in certain situations call for us to make contact with the hospital by telemetry radio or by cellular phone. And when we make contact with them, we give them a history of what we have going on with the patient. And then at that time, one of the nurses who usually answers the radio will be in contact with one of the ER physicians. And if there's any drugs that they'd like to give or any changes or things that they'd like to see us do, then they're able to then just over the radio or telephone give us those orders and provide that care. What else has really helped save lives on the scene that you've seen is the fact that you're able to intubate patients, and how long have you been doing that? We've been innovating for years. In fact, innovation is really a nice tool because you could have somebody that could be in congestive heart failure, and so by being able to innovate them, you'll be able to relax them, and you can use Versed to actually calm them down. And then by doing that, we end up, you know, saving their heart because they don't have to work as hard. And we can actually breathe for them by bagging them. So what do you think is going to be changing in paramedic training over the next five years? I think you're going to see as the practice of medicine evolves and you have new standards and new studies. And, and if you look at what the guidelines are that we have that we work with with the American Heart Association or the different doctors that are out there in specialized medicine, those start in the emergency room and then they translate into the you know, field situations that we are. And a lot of times, too, you'll see some of the doctors that I've worked with in the past used to be paramedics and then have become doctors. So they have a greater understanding of what we need and what's going on in the field. Is the ambulance itself turned into kind of a mobile emergency room? Absolutely. If you take a look at any ambulance nowadays, you look at drawers and drawers of drugs, you look at cardiac monitors, defibrillators, oxygen. We're able to give patients CPAP now, which really seems to help them when they're having trouble breathing. You know, the IV solutions that we're able to give and the drugs and the training that we have, anywhere from delivering a baby to handling, you know, somebody that may have, you know, severed an arm. With all that complexity in the ambulance, does it take more people now to go out on those calls? And how much more complex is it when you're there trying to manage a patient? Well, the call that we always get or the question that we seem to always get is we have two people that are always on the ambulance and then anywhere from three to five people on the engine or the ladder truck. And basically those people that are coming behind on the engine or the ladder truck are support personnel because when you look at how much equipment we have to carry in and if you look at you have a two or 300-pound person, you need two to three people just to manage the cot and then the other people to carry the drug boxes and the airway kits and all the other equipment that we have.
So that's why it's a well thought of question often that we get is why is the engine following the ambulance? And it's one of those public service announcements that we almost want to put out there and tell people why we're doing that. Modern healthcare starts with EMS and EMS starts with EMTs and paramedics. I want to thank our guest, Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmette, Illinois Fire Department, a 28-year veteran of the force, department medical officer, and a paramedic for the last 26 years for bringing us up to date on what's going on with EMS, EMT, and paramedics. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.